his son to be at the Massachusetts University Chapel, and it was Disney Day. I mean, how much better can it get? Profound. Last night was Valentine's Day. How'd it go? Marco Bovino, who works in the library, my friend from Milan, Italy, who's a student here, he takes attendance at the library. Last night was the highest attendance ever. I don't know what happened. I just got a text on my phone from Fox News. This is an amazing development. No longer is the Trump administration worried about the Russian hacking. It's been discovered that the hacking was done by slight dorm at Masters University. <laughs> Some of you got that. Those of you from slight, they'll explain to you later. I'm glad to be here because I love preaching the Word of God. And I want to share with you, I was thinking about what would I share. Basically, I want to just share with you a list of things that I wish somebody would have told me when I was in college, but they didn't. Things that I wish I would have known but didn't know. And so I'm going to share that list with you. We'll see how far we get on the list. A friend of mine recently posted on his Facebook page, he's a student at one of the California universities, he's at San Luis Obispo, he posted this, don't, I don't often post, but I have something that's been on my mind and heart lately. This is a message for all my friends and acquaintances. College has been an amazing new experience, making new friends, living on my own, taking intriguing classes. It all seems like a new chapter of life, but I realize that it has the potential to steer one down a destructive road. Drugs, sex, alcohol, vulgarity, postmodern ideas are tossed from person to person as a college normality. He goes on and says this, May we not become numb to or entranced by any of those things, but may we maintain our defining characteristic of self-control. James chapter 1 is the perfect chapter when it comes to college because it speaks not only of living out the word, but of using trials to grow in steadfastness of faith. I have found these temptations to be a great opportunity to show the light of the gospel and grow in my own personal walk with Christ. Question is, how are your college years going? Tonight I'm going to be baptizing a 23-year-old. He didn't get this list you're about to get. Here's his testimony he will share tonight. I just got this, and I thought, it's appropriate to share this after I have this friend who posts on Facebook such a wonderful, true post. But listen to somebody who didn't get this list that I'm going to share with you today. Hello, my name is Nicholas. I was raised in a Christian home, and although I knew the Scripture by heart, I had desired the exact opposite of what Christ wanted. On the morning of November 25th, I was arrested for two counts of bank robbery. This, although a definite tough time for my life, wasn't enough to bring me to repentance. Rather, through my jail time, I grew further and further away from Christianity and deeper and deeper into my sin. Then the next October, so almost a year after that, this was just this last October, I was released from jail and began my descent into a life filled with drugs and fornication. I lived by myself in a home where I had everything anyone my age could want. Women, sex, drugs, money, and no responsibility. 
However, this wasn't enough to fill this empty feeling that I felt within myself each and every night. And rather than going to church where I should have gone, I tried filling the emptiness with more drugs. December 17th was the day that truly changed my views toward God. I came home to find that everything I owned had been stolen from me. My clothes, my food, everything I had. So it was on that day I made one of the best decisions I had made in a long time. I knew it was time to go back home. While waiting for my ride home, I decided to do something that seemed to go against all of my natural instincts. I decided to pick up the Bible and begin reading God's Word. While living back at home, I saw the love that my parents had toward me. Couldn't even begin to comprehend how they could love someone as sinful as me. And on January 11, 2017, I broke down absolutely astonished how I could, as wretched as I was, find grace. I want to exemplify the fruit of the Spirit because Christ has saved me. He's now my Lord and my Savior, and I want to live only for His glory. What's the difference between somebody who can post on Facebook, be careful how you live your college life, somebody else who gets, and I knew Nicholas really well, he grew up at our church. He had been at Masters, I'm sorry, he had been at Grace Community Church since he was just a little kid. He knew the gospel. He had had untold sermons preached to him, Bible studies. He participated in the high school ministry. He was in small groups. He knew everything there was to know about Christianity, and he had none of it. How is that possible? That he ends up robbing the bank twice? getting arrested, put in jail, then released from jail, and then going deeper into his sin, where then he became involved in drugs and women and money issues that were beyond what we could believe if we were to delineate them today. How does that happen? And how could that happen to a student at the master's university? I mean, this is the last place you think somebody could go off the rails. But this is exactly the place where Satan wants to rob, kill, destroy, and steal from you. And I want to talk to you about what you need to remember. Because I think your, univer- your university years are the most important. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Second Thess- First Thessalonians. Go to First Thessalonians. Interesting passage. First Thessalonians. We're not going to stay there. But I just want to show you what Paul says because it's an interesting word that we need to consider today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul starts the church in Thessalonica. He did it through much persecution, and he had one thing on his mind. And he states it in verse 1 of chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Here's a question for you. How do you have a ministry that's not in vain? Here's a better question for you. As a master's university student, how do you live a life that's not in vain? I mean, because if there's anything that you talk to a person that's already gone through their youth, they look back in your life and you say to them, did you live your life in vain? Paul wanted to make sure he wasn't living, experiencing life in vain. I want to focus on that thought. How does a master's university student not live their college years in vain? 
I remember in the Old Testament, Psalm 127, verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain those who build it. Here's some thoughts. You need exhorting this morning because of the sorrow that you need to be warned about. Sin is the mother of all sorrow. And no sort of sin appears to give a man or a woman so much misery and so much pain as the sins committed when you are young. The foolish acts committed, the time you waste, the mistakes you make, the bad company that you keep, the harm that these sins of college years have done to young people both in body and soul the chances of happiness that are so easily thrown away, opportunities of usefulness that you so easily neglect, all of these things often embitter the conscience and the heart and the life of an older person. One commentary says this, sins committed when you're in college, those sins when you're young, throw a gloom on the evening of your latter years. They fill your latter hours as an older person with self-reproach, shame. Older people will warn you. They want to warn you of the consequences of throwing away this opportunity that you have right now and living your life in vain, going through your college years and coming to the end and saying, it's all in vain. What did I do? How did I miss it? I mean, isn't that what Ephesians chapter 5, if you remember Ephesians chapter 5, therefore be careful how you walk, Paul says. It's Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. You could jot that down. Read it later. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Older people will warn you that they threw away the golden opportunity of life. They can't go back. They can't recover. They can't recoup that which they lost. Lost time can never be redeemed. Other older people can tell you that the mistakes they made, the judgments that they came to when they were young, now they're suffering in the older years of life. How do you become an older person and grow old graciously? It starts when you're in your 20s. It starts now. But older people tell you it's too late to recover that which they have lost. Sins of, the, of your youth Someone said it this way, these are the wounds that pierce the heart. They pierce it the deepest. They're the arrows that drink up a man's spirit. It's the iron that enters into your soul, not to heal you, but to wound you. Be merciful to yourself in these years when you are young. Seek the Lord earnestly so that you may be spared many bitter tears. Job said it this way, chapter 13, he said this, you will cause me to inherit the iniquities of my youth. We reap the consequences. So I want to give you counsel today. I just want to go through a list that I think will be helpful because I want you to use your time wisely and I don't want you to go off the tracks. And if there's any place that would most worry me, it's not the student going to 
San Luis Obispo. It's the students of the Master's Seminary because of my experience with Nick. He had it all. There is no excuse why he would have gone off the rails, but something was askew in his heart, and nobody saw it. I can remember getting the phone call when he had been arrested robbing the bank. I couldn't believe it. Not Nick. Someone said it this way, give not the most precious season of your life. That's what you're in, the most precious season of your life. Give not the most precious season of your life to that which will not comfort you later in life. So let me give you the list. Number one, number one, remember, jot this down. Remember who owns you. Number one, remember who owns you. Now go over to 1 Peter. We're going to look at a few verses in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. This isn't going to be an exposition of a single passage of Scripture. We're going to look at some concepts and some things you need to be aware of in order that you not live your life in vain. Remember who owns you. 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal ways of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, and he gave his blood for you. One thing that we don't understand is the price paid for us. Jot down another passage just in your notes. You can read it later. I'll read it for you now. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. It says, Be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to shepherd the church of God. And it says this, of the church of God. He purchased it with his own blood. Remember who owns you. You were not redeemed with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're his possession, not our own. Your life is not for your own good. Your life is not to make you happy. Your life is not for you to be fulfilled. It's not about your wishes, your desires, your goals. The Bible says clearly, it's all for God's glory. We were created for his glory. The decisions you make are based on that principle. What do I do with my life? How do I invest my life to not live it in vain? Live to God's glory. Look over at 1 Corinthians. This is important for us to look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The same principle is given, put in a different way by Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? If you claim to know Christ, remember who owns you. Every decision you make, every desire you have, how you spend your time, remember who owns you. College students live life as if it's your life, as if it's your happiness, as if it's your fulfillment, as if it's the best desires you could ever want. That's not what life is about. And you start living a life that's not in vain now by the decisions you make, the choices you have. 
Verse 20 of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. How you dress your body, how you act in your body, what you do with your body. We don't think that way when we're in college. It's my life. I'm going to live it how I want. I can figure out stuff later. But then it's too late. Then your life is in vain. Then you're behind the ball. Then you turn 25 and 27 and 28 and 30, and you go, where did I get here? How did this happen? Listen, God knows the best for you. In fact, this is something that I wrote down for my life that I want to always remember. The promise of God is this, that he knows best, and he will allow you to become more than you could ever be on your own. That's the point. Go ahead, try to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Live your life to your own desire, your own plans, your own happiness. But you will never make out of your life what you could if you surrendered it to Jesus Christ, realizing that he owns you. You are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You were bought with an extreme price, not with the price of silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Number two, not only remember who owns you, number two, have a secured promise in your heart for obedience. In other words, determine always to obey. Determine always to obey. Path of obedience, a commitment to obedience. Obedience at every moment in your life. Go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Verse 2 of chapter 1, an interesting verse. Peter starts off in the beginning of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. And then listen to what he says to them. Verse 2 says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ. And then look at this phrase. This is bizarre. What does it say? To be sprinkled with his blood. What is Peter saying? To be sprinkled with his blood. Peter is borrowing from an Old Testament concept. So let's go to the Old Testament and find out where he borrows it from. Go to Exodus. Exodus, chapter 24. This is exactly where Peter borrows that phrase from. He resurrects it here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. And there in Exodus 24, verse 3, he says this. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord. All the ordinances and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. In other words, we'll obey you. We'll do what you want us to do. Moses wrote down all the words, verse 4, of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel. They offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Then look what verse 6 says of chapter 24 of Exodus. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood, he sprinkled it on the altar. That makes sense. But then look at verse 7. 
Then he took the book of the covenant, read it in the hearing of the people, and he said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. Again, we'll obey you. We'll be obedient to you. But then look what Moses does to secure the covenant of obedience. Verse 8. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now that would be an interesting way to be marked by the blood. You go to church, the sacrifice is made, half of it is poured out on the altar, and half of it is sprinkled on you. You can leave church and go, where were you today? I went to church. You're so bloody. So I don't forget. You need to be marked with the blood. There needs to be something so unique about you. So remarkable about you. Because not only do you remember who owns you, you have a secured commitment in your life to obedience at every moment, every turn, every decision. You want to obey. Not just in word, but in deed. That's why Peter says that you might be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. What he did on the cross, he secured the covenant. And now it's poured out in our life so that we then can be secured with the covenant and we can say, we will obey. Are you marked with the blood? Is there something about you that's different? Sprinkled blood secured the covenant. Sacrificing of the blood of Jesus poured out on the people of God today through the working and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to allow us to obey Look at 1 John. Write this down in your notes because this is the mark of a true believer. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 is an interesting passage. Verses 3 to 5. Simply says this. By this we know we have come to know him. How do we know if you really have come to know him? If we keep his commandments. Doesn't matter where you go to school, doesn't matter how many classes you take, how many sermons you listen to, what kind of notes you take. Let me just tell you about Nick. Nick was the best note taker I had ever seen. Nick would go to the chapels at Grace Community School, and he would show me his notebook because he was required to show somebody the notes he took during chapel, and he would come to me and he'd say, Pastor Michael, I want to show you my notes. And we'd go through his notes. But the blood of Christ was never sprinkled on him. He had never made a commitment to obedience. And his life began to be lived in vain because by this we've, known, we, we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's how you know if you really know him, by keeping his commandments. And then it says this, the, the one who says, I've come to know him and, do, and you don't keep his commandments, it says you're a liar. John pulls no punches. You're just a liar. Don't say you know him and then not do what he says. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. A secured step of obedience. 
and we always fall short, don't we? I, I love the, the question Pastor John always asks. It's one of the most interesting questions for me he's ever asked. Why did Jesus have to live 33 years? Good question. I mean, if you were God, what would you have said? A weekend is enough. Jesus, if you go down on Thursday, you're back on Sunday. It's enough. But why did he have to live 33 years? If you go back to the Gospels and you see at the eighth day, they presented him at the temple as was commanded by the law. What did Jesus do that we can't do? He kept the law at every point. It surfaces over and over and over again in the Gospels. To fulfill the law, to fulfill the law, to fulfill the law. Jesus did that which we cannot do. In fact, chapter 2 of James says this, if you break the law at one point, chapter 2 verse 10 of James says you're guilty of all of it. We're experts at breaking the law. But the Bible says that Jesus for 33 years did what we could not do. He obeyed the law perfectly. And that now that's credited that word propitiated, it's an accounting term. It means it's been put into your account. You don't deserve it, it's been deposited there. Not because of what you did, but on the basis of what someone else did. And now it's credited to you. It's an amazing thing. First John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that what Matthew 11 says? Come to me. All you are who are heavy and weary, and I will give you what? It's not okay to talk at chapel. I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. Number three. Number one, remember who owns you. Number two, have a secured commitment to obedience in your life. No matter what the cost, no matter what the price. The sprinkled blood of Christ. Number three, be a young person full of convictions. Be a young person full of convictions. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, back to 1 Peter 1, verse 13. It just simply says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That idea of prepare your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you by Jesus Christ at his revelation. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the former way you used to live. That's why it says from Leviticus, Peter quotes it again from the Old Testament, be holy because I am holy. Prepare your minds for action. Literally means tie up all the loose ends. Refine it. Pull it together. Get your life together is the idea. Make your doctrine firm, your theology strong. Know who God is. Know why you believe what you believe. Now is the time to make your foundation sure. Go over to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, putting aside all malice, 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. Putting aside all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and envy, slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Here's an interesting process that happens. How do you get to be a person of convictions? The word of God brings convictions to your life. Here's the process. You begin to read to get information. The information then brings belief to your heart. 
Belief then becomes your conviction. And then you have to move from conviction to make that your affection. That's the process. You read for information. The information then becomes your belief. The belief then has to move to conviction. And then the conviction has to move to be your total affection. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 119 writes 176 verses. And he simply says this, oh, how I love your law. How I love your word. He was a man of conviction. It drove everything that he had. We need to be people strong in God's word. Look at 1 Corinthians. Another interesting verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Verse 13. An interesting verse, especially for us today. It says this, be on the alert. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. It was written to men and women. The Greek word there, the Greek, the Greek concept there is found all the way throughout the Old Testament. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Act like men. In other words, act like you have some backbone in you. Be strong. Be courageous. Be on the alert. That outworking of the Greek. Let's just look at it in the Old Testament briefly, especially in a day and age where universities now are providing safe spaces. Because you just can't handle it. I remember talking to a university student right after Trump got elected. And they said, I'm having, they weren't a Christian, of course. I hope not. Because they said, oh man, I'm really struggling. I've got to go to a safe space to just deal with my emotions. It's like, are you serious? Like, and it was a guy. <laughs> you just want to go, wow, you would be so attractive to a girl. That's powerful. Wow, people must line up to go to your conference. How to be weak. <laughs> Sheesh, I mean, come on. What kind of world are we living in today? I mean, when men prefer to be women and women prefer to be men, and when everything's on its head, it's unbelievable today. Look at Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy. We'll go back and just look just briefly because time is almost up. Deuteronomy 31. Verses 68. Just jot it down. I'll read it for you. Deuteronomy 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. I mean, you could jot down Joshua 1. Remember Joshua 1, verses 6 to 8? Be strong and courageous. Constantly said over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. 2 Samuel, jot that verse down. 2 Samuel chapter 10. 2 Samuel chapter 10 verse 12. Simply says, be strong. Let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his own sight. Be strong. What happened to that message today? I mean, today young people are filled with idleness. They fill their time with the most minuscule of unimportant things I mean guys are addicted I do a lot of marriage counseling in Grace Community Church here's what one dad said to me would somebody stand up in the university ministry of your church and just say to the guys stop playing video games for God's sake he was in my office and that's exactly he was yelling at me he said I'm so sick of young men that are so addicted to video games it's true isn't it 
Oh, now you're a legalist. We believe in freedom in Christ. I mean, we'd have to shut down slight dorm. Okay, okay. The truth is, C-Dub gave me $50 to say that. <laughs> and I got free Disney tickets to my whole, for my whole family. <laughs> Listen, this is a problem of university students today. You get wrapped up in, what, in so much idleness that you're spending your time doing nothing, and then you get to the end of it and go, what do I got? What do I got? Be strong and courageous. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is so true. And, it, and it's especially true of the men. I mean, guys addicted to video games. You think, well, what are you on that for? It's not video games. It's the misuse of time that shocks me. I mean, you just had truth in life, the Reformation. Had people paraded before you, from John Calvin to Luther to Jonathan Edwards even afterwards. And then you go, why couldn't you be one of those? Why are those men we just read about? Why aren't, why aren't there more men like that today? And girls, why don't you find a guy like that? You go, well, there's none at Masters University. <laughs> Surely there is. Some guy that's more focused, more driven, more initiative to glorify God and to honor him and spend in his life to do that giving his life to what matters, spending his life on eternal things. I mean, this is a call at this point in your semester, at this moment in your university life to say, get it together. There are some of you in this auditorium right now struggling with things that if we were to project it on the screen, it would be horrific. I know that because my entire adult life, I've worked with university students. I've given counseling to university students. I've heard almost everything you can imagine from university students. And the one thing I would say to you today, you have to be careful with these years. I mean, that's why it just resurfaces over them. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous because the tendency is to be weak, limp, with no discernment, no backbone, no drive spending the, our life as if we have much of it to give. And we don't. Let me just go on to another point I think you need to remember. First point was, remember who owns you. Number two, have a determination to what? Obey. Obey. Number three, be a person of convictions. Number four, be fully aware of the danger of sin. Be fully aware of the danger of sin. Get a clear view of the evil of sin. If you only knew what sin is, what sin has done, you wouldn't think it strange that I'm preaching to you about the danger of sin. Look at 1 Peter again. Back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, sprinkled by the blood... We know that, in this secured relationship to be obedient. So as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but 
like the Holy One who called you, be holy in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Problem with many young people, they don't see sin in its true colors. I mean, I wish sin hurt, don't you? I wish sin were painful. Then it wouldn't be so hard to walk away from it. But sin is not painful. Sin is fun for a season. And that's the deception of sin. Your eyes are naturally blind to the guilt and danger. It's a common feature in university students. Let not the devil succeed in persuading you that sin is a small matter. Think about the awful change that's happened in our world because of sin. Think about how all of humanity, I mean, from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that brought about the flood upon the world, causing fire, then after that to come down on Sodom and Gomorrah, drowned Pharaoh and his host of the Red Sea, ruined the nation of Canaan, scattered the 12 tribes of Israel over the face of the globe, Sin alone has corrupted the human race. Think of the misery sin and sorrow has brought upon mankind and continues to do day after day. Pain, disease, death, strife, quarrels, division, envy, jealousy, malice, deceit, fraud, cheating, violence, oppression, robbery, selfishness, unkindness, ingratitude. All of these are the fruit of sin. Sin is the parent of all of it. Sin is, that, sin is that which has marred the face of God's creation with a sadness and a sorrow that humanity must continue to bear. Jot this verse down. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 9. Proverbs 14, verse 9 says this. Fools mock at sin. Fools mock at sin. If sin is that powerful, that contagious, you allow it in, it destroys everything. So make much of Christ. What's the anti-venom of the poison of sin? Christ. Not just on Sunday morning, every day. Not just in chapel, every day, every moment that you live. Christ is everything. Christ is our competence. If that were true, then we would be able to do great things for God. when we fully, de fully depend upon Christ for the battles of life, then we can overcome. We overcome sin. Let your mind be captivated with Christ so that sin has no place in you. And be careful who you make your friends to be. Has anybody ever told you the importance of that? Someone said it this way, never be satisfied with the friendship of anyone who will not be useful for your soul. Are your friends useful for your soul? Choose friends who will benefit your soul. Friends whom you can really respect. Friends whom you would like to have near you on your deathbed. Friends who love the Bible and are not afraid to speak to you about it. Friends that you would not be ashamed of, that they would be alongside you at the coming of Christ and the day of judgment. It, that's exactly what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 63. He said, I am a friend to all who fear you. Those are my friends. To all who follow your precepts. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, speaking of friends. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says this. He who walks with wise men will be wise. 
but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Who are your friends? Never be satisfied with the friendship of anyone who will not be useful for your soul. Resolve at this moment to break off every known sin, however small it might be. Look within your own life. Look within your own heart at the very fiber of your life, at the very fiber of your heart. Do you see any habit or pattern of life which you know to be wrong in the sight of God? Get rid of it. If you have sin in your heart, if there's something that's crept into your life, don't delay a moment in attacking it. Resolve at once to lay it aside. Nothing darkens the eye of the mind so much and deadens the conscience so deeply as allowing sin in your life. It's horrifically dangerous. Horrifically dangerous. And then let me just close with this. I'll just give you the last points, and if I were to say, those are the main points I wanted to give you this morning. That's four, right? Hello? Okay, good. You're still with me. I mean, Master's University Chapel, you do it three times a week. How can you expect you to stay awake all three? Number five, be a person marked by love. Be a person marked by love. Paul said it this way, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's Philippians 1.27. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Christ is your example. Be people marked by love. Peter said it this way, have a sincere love for the brethren. That's the idea. A sincere love for, a unique sense in which we love other believers, a willingness to render sacrificial sacrifice to the other person. Remember this, sin destroys love. Sin will always destroy love. You want to find a person that's not loving? It's because they're harboring sin. You want to find a person that's not obedient to the outward physical authority of their life? You find somebody that's struggling with the authority in their life outwardly? It means they're struggling with the authority of God in their life, in their heart. Whatever's outward is always an indication of that which is going on inwardly. Sin will destroy your love. Six, and this is what I wanted to say as part of my conclusion, realize suffering produces good. That would be number six. Realize suffering produces good. If there's one phrase I would want to leave you with is this. Trials of life do not shape you. The trials of life do not shape you. What do the trials of life do? They expose you. The trials of life expose you. They don't shape you. You've already been shaped. Now the trials of life expose who you really are. We just had just this last two weeks, Angelina came to our staff chapel. We said to her, Angelina, what's the one thing you learned from the accident that you had? She said, never to take God for granted. Never to take God for granted. I said to her, Angelina, why would you say never to take God for granted? Because she said, I took him for granted. The trials revealed who I am. Remember, trials don't shape you, they expose you. And then number seven would be keep your conscience clear. I think the biggest fear of mine is that you ignore the conscience of God. God has written his conscience into the heart of every man, woman of the world. The conscience is like God's voice to you, knowing right from wrong. But the more you ignore it, the more silent your conscience becomes. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 said it this way, 
for this finds favor with God for the sake of conscience toward God, that a person bear up under sorrows when suffering. Let your conscience be loud. Don't ignore your conscience. You ignore your conscience and you silence that voice and you deafen it and then you can't hear it. Let your conscience be. It's a, it's a, it's a warning system. But the more you ignore it, the more you deaden it and you become deaf to its voice. And then number eight and the final thought is just remember this. Remember the purpose of your life. Glorify God. And I'll close with this verse. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verses 9 says this, and I, I pray for this. This would be my prayer for you, that your love would abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. We started there, remember who owns you, and we end there. Everything is about his honor, his glory, you get that right your life will not be lived in vain could it be true that somebody sitting in this gymnasium today could go off the tracks oh no not in a there are some of you going off the tracks right now and God's calling you that's his love for you his mercy toward you bow your heads and close your eyes with me Are you harboring sin in your life? However small it is, get rid of it today. Remember who owns you. Make a commitment to be obedient at any cost, any price, because you've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. Keep your conscience loud. Be, be a person of conviction. Remember that trials, and you're going to have some, or you're in the midst of them. They only expose what's really in your heart. Lord, I pray that you'd help these students remember these points because the worst would be to invest this time, this money, this effort into their university years and come to the end and have missed the main point. Please help them, guard them, protect them, and fill them with a zeal for your glory that's insatiable, passion-filled, so that because of this chapel, even one would be changed by your Holy Spirit. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>